Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's La Marvelous. Thank you guys. All right, we're back. You got me. We are back. I tried to see. I just got a new little phone. So just for shits and giggles, I wanted to see if my phone, which actually has a better processor now than my laptop, would be able to handle it and had a little audio malfunction, but we are back. So this is the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast after a little bit of a false start here. Coming to you live on a Tuesday afternoon, a little bit of a lunch hour special here. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined by Spencer Schultz. Like we mentioned, the technical difficulties, uh, they may have hindered us, but they're not going to stop us all the way. They are not, just like apparently Marlon Humphrey cannot stop Hollywood Brown right now, and apparently Marcus Peters can't either. Hollywood looking like a damn jitterbug. Uh, upset, obviously, that we're not able to cover camp this year, but good thing it gives the Ravens media staff a little bit more free reign since there aren't fans there to really get us the good angles, the good shots, all that stuff. And good Lord, I mean, Hollywood Brown just cooked Marlon Humphrey a little bit. Like, Marlon played it well still, but I don't know if there's anyone in the world that's going to be able to stop Hollywood the way he was just moving. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to say it looked Tyreek Hill-esque which was a big comparison for Hollywood coming out of Oklahoma. We didn't get to see uh, any more than 80% of Hollywood's real speed last year as, you know, Jonah Schaefer, our buddy from Baltimore, the Baltimore sun has detailed and a couple things, but yeah, the reports are that the deep ball is sailing. Hollywood Brown is making noise left and right. He had the play of the day yesterday and the play of the day today uh, as they kind of like to, to chalk up one big play. And uh, from all reports from all the guys that, uh, we like like Jonas and Jeff Zreback and Jameson Hensley and all those guys. They are firing on all cylinders. Sounds like the defense came at the end of practice and made a couple tough stops in some two-minute situations, uh, which is what I expect the Ravens to run a lot of throughout this training camp. A lot of tempo, two-minute drill. It's that you know that classic narrative this offseason of the Ravens can't play from behind. Well, give them an offseason working at it the way they worked at red zone passing, as you and I saw last year, Jake and I anticipate they'll be able to make some major strides in that department. What do you think about the galaxy brain that Marlon Humphrey actually sucks after seeing that? Because there, there's some of that going around. Marlon gets beat in camp. I mean, the, at the same time, you know, 
Hollywood cooked and the ball was a touch underthrown. But if that was a game, I mean, Marlon's going to dive for that. He's going to go try and, you know, really lay into the receiver. You don't want to do that to your teammate. You you want to keep, you know, some distance in those situations. How many times do you see a collision there where DB lays out and then the receiver comes up gimping and hobbling? And I think Marlon could have maybe made a play on the ball there. But uh, we are well aware, as are all other smart people, that Marlon Humphrey is a damn good man corner. So, if anyone wants to have that kind of debate about that, uh, just don't because it's futile. I also kind of think that um, maybe this is uh, another Galaxy Brain take, but I feel like guys like that probably aren't going to be putting in you know as much effort as they are in a game in like day two of padded practices. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, they're definitely you know thudding and stuff, but they're not. I mean, you don't even really tackle like that. You wrap up in camp. You don't want anyone getting hurt when you're not playing games. Uh, so as there is intensity, you you kind of want to temper that intensity at the same time to make sure you're not knocking guys out early in camp. Especially because I'm a little worried, and this isn't just for the Ravens. This is for all teams. That number one, you didn't have these guys in for mini camp. You haven't been able to have them in facility. You're not exactly sure where they're at uh you know as far as the soft tissue stuff and and getting some real maintenance work done some mobility flexibility stuff steve saunders only had these guys for a little bit hasn't gotten to check in with a ton of the new guys so there's this kind of narrative that oh we're not having preseason so that means we got a hit in practice i do agree but but not yet and still tone that down i mean if you start out a little rusty with the hitting, you're getting a little in the week one. I would rather have that. I would rather take a week one loss than lose three starters to due to injury because you're going a little bit too hard in practice. So I hope that they are kind of, I'm sure they are, but, but keeping a relative, uh, I can't think of the right word, softness to it. Uh, you know, not too intense. I don't want them to go over the top against each other in practice. So I like that Marlon kind of let Hollywood catch it didn't you know do anything crazy that i mean that that's the stuff that'll get players in trouble like teammates will get pissed at you if you go too hard on someone especially you know the number one receiver on your team so i think it's uh good to try and make that contact not as big of a deal as as some people have kind of pushed it out to be yeah i mean it's uh been a pretty fun watch over these first couple of days of padded practices i feel like i've been pretty tuned in especially with the fact that there isn't going to be any preseason the the ravens uh social and media team or social media team, if you would, uh, threw out a little uh, training camp live thing on the first day of padded practices, which was Monday. That was a you know a fun little thing to tune in. You didn't really get a ton out of it, but uh, it was just kind of a cool, relaxing watch. I thought on a Monday morning. How uh, plugged into that were you, if at all? Uh, I mean, I'm definitely watching and stuff. The thing that I really want to know is is what drills they're particularly working on. I think that there's a lot of uh, coverage of like, oh, so-and-so made a catch here or, uh, you know, so-and-so looked really fast. So-and-so looked really strong. So-and-so looked sharp out there, whatever. But I want to know what they're working on. I want to know what John Harbaugh and Greg Roman and Wick Martindale and then the positional coaches all the way through are, are working on individually with these players. And that's why I'm you know, upset that I am not able to cover camp this year. But at the same time, I've got other stuff going on. So, uh, I, I'm not too upset, but at the same time, I just hope that the reporters kind of really capture the emphasis of practice, what drills they're working on in particular. And like I said, last year, offensively, it was red zone passing, goal line passing, red zone passing, goal line passing. We see Lamar Jackson go 29 touchdowns, zero turnovers in the red zone. 
uh, zero interceptions, might have fumbled, I can't recall, uh, but zero interceptions in the red zone. So I anticipate, like I said, if they're going to spend the majority of practice, as John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson both said, on outside the numbers passing, wide passing, boundary passing, deep passing, I expect improvement there. So all reports coming out early in camp are that that's the case. And I, you know, just spent a couple hours writing up what I called the Ravens 2020 training camp syllabus, uh, kind of the back to school for some people don't, you know, some Ravens fans kind of tune in more towards training camp than they do in the off season and aren't as big into the draft stuff and whatnot. So try to write a very meta article covering all that kind of stuff. And it, you know, if, if the Ravens are able to improve relatively drastically at throwing the deep ball, they control I mean, the only way to stop them is if they they fuck up, is if they make, you know, don't go out and execute. The defense is not going to be able to consistently stop the Ravens offense. You're in a constant state of catch 22 if Lamar Jackson is hitting uh, more consistently with more trust and with the receivers, you know, on the same page as him a little bit more effectively downfield. The defense is going to can't load the box. They don't they have to respect Marquise Brown. You have Devin Duvernay as well, who, you know, Everybody says, sounds good. We'll see once the games start. But, you know, everybody, he has legit 4-3 speed. And it, what, what do you do there? What do you do there? you got to really hope that you're able to win at the line of scrimmage uh, if you're going to do anything. And the Ravens, you know, return four out of five starters. Of course, the fifth that is not coming back is a huge loss. But, again, it's, it's going to make the Ravens as undefensible, indefensible, whichever the correct word is, In. uh, as indefensible as possible. Moving forward, it, I mean, it, they're not going to be perfect. They're not going to score a touchdown every play, but uh, they're going to store a lot of touchdowns on a lot of drives, and that's something they did last year at a historically high rate. So it's a scary thought for opposing defenses, this progression of Lamar Jackson as a lethal deep ball passer maybe or a, a, an elite or a really good or a good deep ball passer where he's been above average, average, uh, deep left. He's kind of struggled to push the ball to the deep left, and that's a little mechanical thing with his feet and with his hips. Uh, we talked about that with Derek Clausen, and that was something Lamar needed to work on, and sounds like he's working on it. So I'm sure they know what to do. You can only do so much in one offseason, but uh, it, it feels like they're really on the brink of of exploding offensively with the reports coming out of camp. So you're releasing a syllabus? I'm releasing a syllabus. So does that mean it, this is syllabus week? Because I can just syllabus week. I can taste the, the Natty Light and the Green Apple Burnettes, and I can smell the Black and Milds. And uh, some good and bad memories associated with syllabus week. Are we in syllabus week for the Ravens right now? Yeah, we're in syllabus week. It's the first week of camp officially, padded practice. So it's uh, back to school. It's it's getting into camp, figuring out what you have to do, all those things. I, I wrote, a, I believe it was like 1,900 or 2,000 words uh, this morning on basically the intro summarizing the Ravens offseason, the moves they made. Then we moved on to the attendance policy of which, you know, Chris Moore is absent as well as Amon Marshall. We might see the reinstatement or the, uh, the addition to class of Brandon Carr as well as Des Bryant, uh, Matt Skura currently, you know, trying to get back to class after catastrophic injury. And then we move into the course objectives, detailing what the goals of the course are. And then we go into a grading system detailing, you know, uh, the, the, what I called the, first exam which was the first three weeks that's cleveland houston and kansas city then it's kind of a little bit of an easy oral presentation where they're able to work on some things and really go uh, stand up in the head of class and kind of dominate probably against the Bengals and uh, 
the other lowly opponent they play week five. I can't, the uh, Redskins, the DC football team, they play week four, then the Bengals in week five, followed by a midterm exam. And the midterm exam is going to determine whether you get an A in the class or a C in the class. That's going to be the Patriots, the Steelers, the Titans, uh, the you know the whole bevy of teams they have down the middle to meet there. Uh, before they, you know, get an open note final at the end, which is the Giants, the Jaguars, and the Bengals. So that midterm section, I uh, got into detail about the Cowboys and uh, all those those pretty tough teams they're going to play, play. And it, it really is similar to last year, where, you know, of course there might be team. That, for all we know, the Giants could end up being an eleven five football team. Who knows? That that stuff happens every year, but feels very similar to last year in terms of, you know decently hard start couple AFC teams and the meat and potatoes of the schedule is against some really good teams. And last year that was Seattle. That was LA. That was San Francisco. That was Buffalo. So kind of a similar vibe there. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. But if that deep ball is humming, the defense is a little, I, I broke down into the defense regarding, you know, Brandon Williams and Chris Wormley and Michael Pierce produced 800 or they produced 46 total pressures on 889 pass rushing snaps there were 14 individual defensive linemen that produced 46 or more pressures last year. None of them had 600 pass rushing snaps. One of those players was Calais Campbell. Uh, another one, Derek Wolf, was by PFF's pass rushing productivity measure, the 30th most productive pass rusher in terms of uh, sacks being weighted a little heavier than quarterback hits being weighted a little bit heavier than pressures. Uh, so, you know, a Batman, a guy who's been, or excuse me, a Robin, who's been a Robin Devon Miller's Batman the last couple of years. They have McPhee back. Feels like that line's ready to cook. So I got into that a good bit and a couple other things on there. Damn, you just summed it up uh, very well. You hit on a lot of our points on the run sheet, I guess, before we get into that. Uh, just the stuff that we're hearing today, you already touched on Hollywood cooking Marlin. Sounds like uh, our boy Lamar, who was wearing some sort of bizarre parachute outfit uh, to his presser. Sounds like he had a great day throwing the deep ball, and it sounds like uh, maybe a familiar storyline here from this time a year ago. Miles Boykin having himself a big day at that receiver spot. Yeah, we started this cast last July. You and I actually teamed up, and I went to, I think, 12 of the training camp practices, and you came to a few of them as well. And then we had Kyle and Vaz, and uh, this year, unfortunately, ball beatdown's not covering. It was just difficult with COVID and everything going on. Usually travels all the way to Colorado. Um, so it's, it's, it's tough. And last year, I mean, miles Boykin was the sensation of training camp. We detailed that on this podcast for, I guess, a quote unquote, longtime listener have just been with us for the past year. Boykin was on fire in this. He is, you know, I mean, he was like Terrell fucking Owens on the practice field, skying above guys, looking really big and physical, uh, being able to move really well for his size. And then once the regular season started, the kind of just mindless confidence where you're able to just play instinctually and flow and play state fast. shout out to rogan his flow state the flow state exactly um his flow state wasn't there and so boykin kind of we heard david cully talk about how he was overthinking things and when you overthink it actually slows you down it causes hesitation those things uh which is why des bryant might be freaking sick for boykin a guy who's you know, probably going to be able to come in and, and display that and tell him that. And while Des Bryant's best athletic days are behind him, he's the Cowboys all time receiving touchdown leader. He knows how to play at a high level, what kind of mindset it takes to get into that flow state. So it's exciting stuff. Fear causes hesitation and hesitation causes your worst fears to come true. Exactly. I uh, think act I quickly I, act decisively. 
Yeah, I think I made a, uh, a Bodie reference to Lamar wearing that uh, parachute outfit. Shout out to Point Break. Uh, a little bit of a Bodie quote there for you. So we're just filled with Point Break references right now, which uh, that's me in my flow state, just so we're all clear. Uh, yeah, so I guess we pretty much hit on all of it right there, and we can jump into the run sheet proper starting off. Uh, a little bit of you know news that we pretty much all expected and knew was going to happen, but it's still good to hear nonetheless. Raven Center, Matt Skura passing his physical attending Monday and Tuesday padded practices, and he is probably the Ravens' current preferred option at center right now, coming off that torn ACL, MCL, PCL, dislocated knee injury that he had. It's pretty gruesome, but here he is. He's back in less than a calendar year, and he is uh, in the mix there on that interior offensive line. Absolutely. It's good to see him back. Hopefully you want to, you know, you want him to take it slowly. Pat McCarry was certainly serviceable uh, without playing center in a while. And he, you know, got a little beat up in the Titans game, but he, he definitely filled in as the backup center really well, really high level of play for a backup, particularly an undrafted free agent rookie who hasn't played center in years. Uh, so Makari, you know, gives you a little, a little safety net. It feels like Bradley Bozeman is locked into that left guard spot and we'll see, you know, how that develops, how he develops physically. Uh, I've detailed how, you know, I don't feel that he's necessarily the, most athletic dude in the world, but the Ravens seem to really like his football mind and his work ethic and all that good stuff. And, and to John Harbaugh, uh, the ethic will beat out the talent if the talent doesn't have the ethic. So makes sense. And yeah, we hope that Skura can come back. Reports are saying that he looks a little bit more beefy in a good way. Uh, he was really tiny like two years ago. He was a pretty small dude for an offensive lineman, of course. And yeah, it looks a little, little, meat on them bones there it looks like he's been working out really hard uh definitely probably focused on you know his upper body strength a good bit while he was immobilized i'm sure to the best of his ability so from all intensive purposes sounds like skura is going to be ready to go by week one if not you know like week three or something and i think we see him in camp taking first team reps again by the end of camp so is that your preference him having first team reps right now even with all the uncertainty or would you prefer skura have some time to or uh makari excuse me, has the time to sort of get ready for week one, week two, whatever it's going to be. I want Macari definitely uh, taking a lot of first team snaps. Let Skura ease back into there a little bit. You don't want to rush Skura back too quickly and force another injury. And then you're a man down that you didn't have to be. So definitely take it easy on Skura. Macari uh, should be able to fill in. It's the beginning of the season. The Ravens are a strong team. They should be able to, you know, survive the waters. If it's Pat McCarry, there's not going to be a huge drop off there from Skura to McCarry, but definitely prefer Skura in his best form. Uh, Might have been on the cusp of a Pro Bowl season last year before that horrific injury. So we wish him the best, of course. But in the end, you want McCarry ready to go first. And then Skura, once he's, uh, you know, comfortable, confident, he's back on the field, able to move around well. And, and he's got a couple weeks before that. The Ravens don't have a game until the 13th of September, so a couple weeks left to really get geared up and ready to go. So uh, definitely want to get all those situations in. And, and last year, you know, got a, got a really good detailed view of how the Ravens have everyone take snaps at different positions, really other than, you know, Ronnie Stanley. Uh, everyone's going to take snaps at left guard, center, right guard, some at right tackle, all that good stuff. We saw Pat McCarry play all five offensive positions in one preseason game at one point, uh, which definitely was, was a great thing to show his versatility and kind of the balance between the positions. So, Definitely gonna have to slide some snaps around. You you need you need both those guys ready to go if you can. Maybe it's just me not paying enough attention to the trenches. You know, shout out to me not giving those guys enough respect. But this interior offensive line, I'm kind of just now noticing very fascinating picture that is forming here. Definitely a very fascinating picture. And Cole Jackson of Russell Street Report, one of our you know the O line guru. Bros. 
the O-line guru, uh, makes a good point. I mean, it, it really – they've got some guys that can move a little bit better and they've got some guys that can really throw their weight around. And if they want to run more zone stuff, you're going to want, you know, the lighter guys, Makari, Skura, uh, maybe Bredesen a little bit. And if you want the big brawlers, you're going to probably want Fluker. You're going to want, uh, you know, I guess Skura. And then at left guard, I guess Bozeman. Those guys are going to be the ones that can throw a little bit more weight around initially and are used to it. So if, if they want to keep that diverse attack that they had last year, they were able to run zone and power and the option stuff and all the good stuff, all those different blocking concepts, then you're going to need the guys who are most balanced. And to find out who's most balanced, it's going to take a lot of reps and they're going to need reps at different positions. It's going to be a carousel of moving pieces and I'm excited to see how it pans out, but it just feels imminent that Fluger gets the right draw, right guard spot because of his veteran experience. Uh, Bozeman is the incumbent and didn't, you know, lose that job last year. So it feels like they'll hold on to him. And then, you know, it's, so it's basically the only question is, is Skura going to be back in time? Or are they going to go with Makari to start the season and then we'll see what happens? Yeah, and I guess we may as well stay on this O-line thing. It might be a little bit out of order as far as the run sheet, but you mentioned DJ Fluker there, a guy who has had an interesting offseason, you know, a little bit uh, bizarre stuff going on with him being a domestic violence victim. So prayers up to him for that and everything. Seems like he's come through well on the other side. And he did reveal on Instagram the other day, I believe, was that the uh, the platform that he chose? Yes. So he revealed on Instagram that he spent the last four months just whipping himself into shape 40% body fat is what he started at in March, down to 22%. Uh, he said that he's built better right now at age 29 than he was at age 22, coming out of Alabama. And uh, I guess you got to figure that he is, like you said, one of the favorites to start at one of those guard positions. Yeah, it feels pretty much set in stone that he's going to start there. Like I said, just based off of past history of Ravens, you know, especially initially early in the season, trotting out the veterans that have that game experience. He's played in playoff games. Um, things like that. I got, uh, you know, 88 starts under his belt somewhere in that department and played at a relatively high level, was a quality starter for a year or two at different times. And, uh, you know, his feet were definitely, you know, plodding and kind of slow. His hip mobility wasn't great, but he's a mauler. I mean, if he, if he hits you in the right spot, you're going to move. So if he's able to get lighter on those feet and a little bit more flexible in those hips, he could fill in really well in awesome race scheme and blocking scheme that, puts blockers in a great position. Of course, when you have Lamar Jackson back there, it makes uh, makes defenders have to try really think about what they want to do. They want to try to load through the gap because he'll make you miss, or do you want to kind of play it hesitant and see if you can kind of cage him up with a few different guys. And then the Ravens' backs come downhill hard, and it, it opens a lot of lanes, all the motion they run and all that stuff. So it definitely is a little bit easier to be a Ravens offensive lineman in one sense as far as, uh, you know, the defense maybe hesitating and, and you know, not being as aggressive or being too aggressive as well as being complex mentally, because you have to be able to do so many different things, run so many different schemes, types and blocking, uh, blocking visions. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see things out, but yeah, if Fluker is able to be quicker than he was and a little more mobile, he could be surprisingly a really solid quality starter. And I don't know, I, I want to say it's almost impossible to go from 40% body fat to 22 in that period of time. So maybe it was like 37 or 38 and he said, you know, 40 because it was close up there. But either way, 22 body fat, 22% body fat is not much higher than mine. And he weighs not to brag. probably about 70 pounds more than me. And I'm a relatively in shape human being. So I can imagine he is ready to rock and roll. What do you think uh, somebody like Jody Alessandris thinks of that? Because uh, I think he is one of the more underrated 
pieces of this coaching staff as that O-line guy that is uh, helping to whip the guys into shape. I, I got to imagine he's pretty impressed. Of course, it shows the work ethic. You know, they were really unhappy with Orlando Brown last year, if you recall. Yep. Coming into camp overweight, out of shape. And it's an easy way to get in the doghouse. Jeff Schwartz, uh, SB Nation writer, analyst, you know, presence, former offensive lineman in the NFL on Twitter, tons of followers, all that stuff. He actually posted a video yesterday of when he was in Lions camp. They wanted him at 340. He ended up coming in at 341. The Lions find him, and then they ended up uh, having him do a bicycle, like a stationary bike, 20 minutes before practice and 20 minutes after practice today which is just like very insulting kind of, and he was only one pound overweight, but it goes to show kind of the, you know, militaristic standards with that stuff that NFL teams have. And so Fluker coming in as a guy who is way underweight, way ahead of schedule athletically, they're getting something better than they thought they were even getting potentially. So I'm sure he's very happy with that. And it just shows that work ethic. And again, ethic will start over talent if talent doesn't have ethic. I love it. So I guess we can move on. We were touching on knee injuries there with Matt Skura. We had another one uh, coming out of camp, the opening day of camp and John Harbaugh's media availability. He revealed that Ravens defensive back, second year uh, corner, that is Iman Marshall. He apparently has suffered a major knee injury and will miss the 2020 season. Uh, Already placed on IR as of yesterday. Uh, He had been working hard and practicing well, Harbaugh said. It just came down on his right leg really awkwardly. He's going to need major surgery. I believe it's ACL, MCL, and like I said, he is placed on injured reserve there. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Um, Biggie Marshall was a guy they coveted coming out of USC a little bit. Fourth round, you know, one of the higher mid-round picks. And I like this tape from college a lot. We didn't get to see a ton of him last year. He was uh, not necessarily red-shirted, but along those lines. And it, it stinks, sinks on ice. The Ravens, you know, let Brandon Carr go, who fortunately now is still available. And I can imagine might end up in Ravens camp in the next week or so. I would be a little bit surprised if he wasn't, but having him go down is really unfortunate for a young man that certainly worked his tail off. He's a good buddy of uh, Walt, who does the Ravens flock talk. And so we wish Amon a speedy and, you know, healthy and, and all that good stuff recovery. Seems like an outstanding uh, man, and hope the best for him. Hopefully he's able to come back stronger, rehab, and get back on the field next year. Yeah, definitely. It is very disappointing. Uh, this is, you know, maybe a little bit of like a normie, non-unique take, but he did look like he maybe had a little bit of Jimmy Smith in him with the, the you know, athletic profile and the build, the physicality. Size. Exactly, and the physicality that he played with at USC. So, yeah, it does suck to see him go down like that, especially, like you mentioned, cornerback is one of those positions where healthy or health-wise, it can get away from you real quick. And maybe they do call in a Brandon Carr. I would be curious to get your take on this. Uh, we're going to touch on Des Bryant, but it, you know, a lot of speculation about him coming in to be signed as a rotational option in the receiving core. I guess if you had to choose between Des Bryant or Brandon Carr at this point, who would you choose? Probably Brandon Carr. Interesting. Just because if the Ravens want to invest in the secondary the way they have, it needs to be consistent no matter what. And last year, you you thought going into camp that the Ravens, you know, didn't take a half measure. They took a full measure, to quote Mike from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And no they ended up taking a, a half measure. You see Tavon Young go down. You see Jimmy Smith go down. Suddenly, Anthony Averett and Maurice Kennedy are taking your cornerback two snaps and your cornerback three snaps. And teams are just like the Browns and the Chiefs had a field day with those two, as well as the Bengals. Auden Tate mossed 
Maurice Kennedy over and over and over again. And, you know, who's to say that another guy doesn't go down, that a Jimmy Smith doesn't go down, that, that God forbid one of the other guys do. So if this defense is so dependent upon a high level of secondary play, I would rather have the depth there be stronger than at the receiver position where, you know, they've got okay depth, they've got youth. Um, you know, I don't know that Des, I don't know that Des Bryant's going to provide a higher quality of play at their respective positions than Brandon Carr will. Brandon Carr, you know, you know he's durable, you know he's reliable. It's it's a low risk, you know, medium sized reward situation for me where Des Bryant could look great. You know, 32 years old, coming off a ruptured Achilles, hasn't played in a couple of years, could very well end up on the IR very well end up on the IR. So if, you know, you get the chance to bring Brandon Carr back and he's in shape, I would love to see that. Uh, Ravens don't have a ton of money, but maybe, you know, Logan Ryan might be another option. I don't know. I don't know if he wants that role. Uh, He probably is asking too much if he's still not on a team yet, but I would like to see bring in a a known veteran to get in there and and make sure that secondary is shored up. There's a cop shop right around the corner from here. They get one whiff of what we got going on and it's going to be Custer's last stand. That's my Mike Airman trout. I just had to get that out. I think you missed it a little bit earlier there. Oh, God. Yeah, so some of these options I do like. Uh, I think Carr would probably be my preference as far as bring back, but I think I would have to disagree with you. Uh, I think with some of the options that they have at corner right now, I just think there's more proven quality than at wide receiver, so I'd probably prefer Dez. But uh, you mentioned Logan Ryan, was it? I think that's a pretty intriguing name. It feels like that's a dude that... Maybe he's priced himself out of the range, but the, with the way that camp is going and nobody has picked him up, they could get him at uh, you know good value. Sure, and we also you know aren't mentioning guys like Geno Stone and Deshaun Elliott who they can move around and do some different things with. Maybe play some man coverage. Um, probably not as high of a level as Brandon Carr would be able to. Guys experienced in doing so, but uh, we also don't know what kind of shape Brandon Carr's in. But I assume that dude is always ready to go. He is a true Iron Man in this sport. So. We'll see. We'll see for sure. But I don't want them to get thin at cornerback because that is a recipe for disaster. We saw the Ravens with, you know, not a great pass rush last year at times and couldn't stop the run well at times. But when secondary was in place with Ian Marland and uh, Marcus Peters and guys, they were great defense. They were a really strong defense for the most. So I think that, you know, making sure you got the back end solidified with quality play is very important for this team's success. Cool. Got a couple questions we want to get to after the fact, but uh, we did have a few coming in at corner that I figured this is a good time to hit them. So Ben Rose, any options besides Marlin to step in at slot CB if Tavon Young goes down again? And uh, Mark Pankhurst coming on Twitter with pretty much the same question, uh, you know, in context that Marshall has now gone down. What do we think? I guess of in-house options. I guess it, ha- it has to be Marlin because Marlin did play, you know, he wasn't, Incredibly consistent in the slot cornerback position, but he did have some really great moments, certainly with some more reps there. And knowing that he might be doing that, I'm sure, is in the room's mind and in their wheelhouse. And he's the one that's going to go into the slot, probably. I mean, I kind of want to say, Jimmy Smith, you kind of stick in there all of camp at times, get him some first team, some second team run, and, and just stick him there and get both guys ready in that way. Uh, Jimmy might not be, you know, as quick as Marlon is, especially his age and, and things, like that, but I, I, I like Jimmy in the slot a little bit. I like what he can do blitzing. We saw him with a huge blitz off the edge against the Rams last year on Monday night, absolutely whapped into Jared Goff. And I think Jimmy can kind of do some interesting things in that role. 
Uh, I don't know what the quality coverage would be there. He, I mean, Jimmy did shadow receivers at one point weekly and some really good ones. It was really successful. And I think he still plays at, you know, a high level, not as high as he was back in, you know, 2015, 2016, 2016, when he was really light and stuff, shutting guys down. Uh, but I, I definitely want him to be experienced there as well so that you don't have to stick Marlon in the slot. Marlon was fine in the slot, great job filling in there. But in the end, Marlon is best at that boundary court. And when you don't have to have a guy shadow and you can kind of just let them play a side of the field, they get really familiar over there with, with what's going on in their side of the field. And I think you can maximize guys that way. Uh, so I, I think maybe Jimmy might be a good solution. Yeah, definitely. So I guess that is enough at the cornerback spot jumping over. Got some wide receivers to talk about, but before we touch on the big name, we got to go to our guy, Chris Moore, special team standout uh, rotational receiver. I think he caught like three passes for 22 yards or so last year. Really not as involved as you would have hoped for a guy who was a fourth round pick not too long ago. And they, they had some hopes for has not quite developed into what they were hoping as a wide receiver. But like I said, a very strong special teams player. Is it deja vu all over again with another storyline here that he has broken his finger and will be out a few weeks per John Harbaugh, who said it's amazing. The same thing happened last year. Chris knows how to deal with that. He'll be fine, but it will be a few weeks until that bone heals. I mean, club him up. Put a club on it for a couple weeks and get him some special teams reps. And I, if Chris Moore, I mean, I, I would love him offensive opportunity still he just hasn't been and he's the one stayed in baltimore knowing that his role is probably going to be only special teams uh so if he if he embraced that to the maximum and looks at it like i could be matthew Sitter from new england something like that like i could be the special teams guy he could have a really nice niche and dedicate himself to that a little bit more help on offense when he need him to I think he could have a really nice career that way. Matthew Slater is playing well into his 30s. He's gone to a couple of Pro Bowls. And Moore has that aptitude and that kind of natural, intrinsic feel on special teams. So slap a fucking club on that hand and let's go. I'm imagining the uh, the Clay Matthews or like the JPP like circle club. And of course, there's going to be some like injury issue where he has to get into a game like wearing one of those. And it's just going to be an absolute just horror show, a comedy of errors. But I, I kind of almost want that to happen. I want him to, I want to see Chris Moore one-handed catch with his other hand being in a club on nope. offense. But well, I actually I actually don't want to see that. He but, does yes. have a little bit of a penchant for a dude who doesn't get a, a ton of playing time. He has a little bit of a penchant for uh, you know, the flair, the the has that something special as the FIFA uh, development trait would say. He for with just weird catches going behind his back like doing stuff like that. Doesn't make many catches a year, but when he does, it seems like he he makes the most of it. Yeah, he always ends up in the doghouse, I feel like. And I don't know what the reason is. I can only speculate. You know, I know that he got really irritated last year at one point and got kicked out of practice, apparently, by Harbaugh. Uh, happened with Pinot Owasu as well at time, or a time. And so, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. We don't know what they're actually talking about or all that stuff. We're only here to speculate. But I, I just really think he should embrace that role. And if they need him on offense, stay ready. Maybe his time will come. And if you want I mean, Again, he chose to stay in Baltimore and not go seek out a contract elsewhere. And I'm sure he could have gotten one. He's, you know, been a consistently good special team contributor. He's had a few catches to his name and, and made big plays, like you said. So I uh, just want to see him embrace that role, embrace that 53 not me mentality all the way. And I think he could be a special player. Yeah, definitely. At least for 
the special teams aspect of things, which is fine. I mean, like you mentioned, Matthew Slater has made a great career out of it. He might go in the Hall of Fame as a special teams guy. Anthony Levine, another dude on the same team who uh, has had success in that way. So, yeah, man, it's an interesting role. It's one that, like you said, I hope he does uh, embrace because it feels like he could be, I don't know if I'd say a legendary Raven, but a legendary special teamer, a la Levine here for the next decade. But, uh, yeah, moving on. I guess the big-ticket news of the day we're throwing up the X. X, X going to give it to you. Des Bryant. Double X's for 88. Uh, there's eight on the Ravens, is there? Uh, there's not. There might be a guy right now who has it like with the roster expanded, but I don't think last year there was a, a prominent player wearing 88. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm going to keep looking, but Des Bryant is just my favorite receivers of this past decade. The guys that I just like to watch are Des Bryant in Dallas and DeAndre Hopkins. Those are my favorite receivers. I'm really excited. I know that it's it's easy to, you know, get a little too excited. And we do have to, you know, realize he's 32 years old. He hasn't played football in a couple of years. But I love Des Bryant, man. The X, the Cowboys all-time, you know, times receiving leader, the, the swagger that he brings, that attitude, uh, all those good things. I loved it. Uh, he won me a fantasy league. I drafted him in the first fucking round in 2015, I think, the year he had 15 touchdowns, and he carried me down the stretch and took a fantasy title. So I have a special little place in my heart for him. Uh, I do think he's definitely lost a step. He's not going to be playing at you know a Pro Bowl, All Pro kind of level anymore. But you know what you're getting with him. You know you know that he's going to be able to release and he's going to be physical. He's you know. Be similar to, to uh, Chib said from Russell Sport. Probably be similar to Crabtree, maybe a little bit more juice, just a little bit. But as a wide receiver three, a wide receiver two, a wide receiver, I think he would be a really fun, experienced, um, good, confident option. And he would be the only Ravens contributor on the Ravens' entire offense over 30 years old. So I think that would bring a little bit more confidence into the rooms, into the, the work aspect of things. And, uh, I mean, he's been on some decently successful teams, never – uh, in a championship game or never played in a Super Bowl or anything, but knows what it takes a little bit more than some of these younger guys. And of course, Willie Sneed does too. And uh, that, that's the only other real vet in that room that's experienced any kind of success as a receiver. But Des Bryant, I think would be a really fun option and we'll see what he's got, man. We'll see what he's got. He's been working his tail off and I'm excited. One of the most physically dominant receivers I've ever seen at his peak, including in person there's a 2012 game where the Cowboys came to Baltimore, which we're probably going to have to do for a rewatch here at some point soon while we still have the time. Sure. Uh, three touchdowns in like the final 15 or so minutes, the Ravens end up winning, but he put a good old scare into me in back in 2012. I think that was 2014, probably his peak, like you mentioned, with that 15 touchdown season or whatever. Uh, just an absolute freak at the, you know, at, at his peak, but. Like you mentioned, definitely lost a step. Hasn't played since 2017. He's had an Achilles injury since he hasn't played, uh, which is pretty weird after he signed with the Saints for like a day, just immediately tore his Achilles. So a mega tough scene there for Dez. Hasn't played in two years. But yeah, like you mentioned, he's got the attitude for one thing. Sounds like he wants to come to Baltimore. He had been talking to Harbaugh saying, you know, I, got, I like what you guys are going on. Love Lamar, and I'd love to play with you. He'd been pushing this for a while. And uh, now that COVID restrictions are clearing up, he's finally able to come in and do a workout. Sounds like both sides are relatively excited. Uh, Harbaugh, of course, choosing not to comment on it with his media availability, saying my only comment is we're not commenting on workouts. We're looking everywhere at everybody all the time. Whoever we bring in once the workout happens, I'm sure that will be announced. 
But as far as Dez goes, it's like you mentioned, he's not as physically dominant as he once was, but that wasn't the entire scope of his game. He was also a little bit of a technician. He always had good hands. So I think the technician aspect and the hands aspect don't leave you in the same way that the physical dominance do. So I think bringing him in and uh, like you mentioned, the Michael Crabtree thing, like 2018 Michael Crabtree is like a fine number three or number four option. In fact, probably pretty good compared to what you have going on right now. So bring him in, let him get the tryout in camp, a la Michael Floyd, see what happens and go from there. I think the uh, upside is only pointing up and, uh, you know, people are going to bring up attitude issues or whatever, or whatever. I never really bought in to that with him to begin with. Uh, and I think coming to a culture like the one they have going on right now would be a good fit for him. So uh, I'm all in on this move. I hope it happens. And uh, I guess we're going to see. But he will be or he's already in Baltimore. There was a very uh, interesting picture of him at BWI from like 1030 last night where he's he's not wearing the mask the full way. And it's like this weird, like super high def photo. So I don't, I don't really know who took it. But uh, shout, shouts to them because it was a. Pretty cool picture, but he's in Baltimore right now. He's got to take two coronavirus tests. Uh, assuming he passes them, he will work out on Thursday, and then we go from there. Absolutely, and yeah, it, it just feels like a good fit for sure. Um, you mentioned that game back in Baltimore, but Tez Bryant is humbled, as humble can be, whereas the alternative is you know potentially looking in, at uh, Antonio Brown. And Antonio Brown is a low, or excuse me, a very high-risk very high reward situation where Des Bryant is an incredibly low risk, you know, moderately high reward. And I do like that Crabtree comparison. You make a good point there. Like Michael Crabtree was, you know, it was him and John Brown and Michael Crabtree was the X. Like the X is the receiver. Um, the number one guy who's out wide, you know, you know, fighting press coverage and stuff. And if Des doesn't have to be the number one, you know, that the, his trainer, Jonah Schaefer, again, who's been, absolutely crushing this training camp. Make sure to follow Jonas on everything and, and read his stuff for the Baltimore sun. But Des isn't trying to be a number one receiver. He's trying to, you know, go somewhere, be a number three and number two. He just wants to play football again. And then he has hit rock bottom. It sounds like, you know, depression injured, not on a team uh, watching the Cowboys, you know, continue to build with after he had left. And uh, he had his difficult tumultuous times in Dallas where, you know, allegedly there was a video that Jerry Jones had bought and, uh, then Des Bryant asked for a contract extension and was, you know, being kind of pouty after Jerry Jones essentially just paid seven figures to help Des Bryant out of a legal situation and some whole messy situation out there. God knows what goes on in Dallas. We do love the place, but um, it was difficult for sure then. And feels like, like I said, hit rock bottom personally, emotionally, and has emerged out of it. And that's the exciting thing about, you know, hitting rock bottom in those tough mental times is that the only place to go is up. And it feels like he's gone up and up and up. And this is the final step to his redemption. Going back to a team that you turned down a three-year, $27 million offer from, um, not with your tail between your legs, but proudly that I am here. I am coming back. I know what I did. I, I No mistakes that I made, or I know things that went didn't go right, and I'm still here. You know, life did knock me down. It's a redemption story in a little way. And it's sweet because I like I loved him as a player and hear all these things and, um, you know, all these issues that he says that he had to go through in his own head and, and bring him come out and just he's just been in Texas playing football over play with him, training, 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 trying to get back on the field. So I think it'll be a really cool redemption story and you just need some of the, you know, there's just that little magic with those kind of anecdotal stories that end up contributing to Super Bowl teams. I feel like uh, I'm not, you know, trying to compare or, or 
make competition of them or anything. But think about, you know, like the 2000 Ravens and the 2012 Ravens, Bryant McKinney coming in after being in the doghouse and, you know, Art Modell had passed away and, and all the things. And then you uh, go back and think about 2000 with, with what has come out of um, OJ Pants and, and a couple other storylines there and some things like that. So I think that it's just really fun to have those kind of storylines. And if he wants to come work his tail off, like he claims he does, and, be, you know, a uh, beacon of leadership and light for younger receivers like Miles Boykin, who we tied on that kind of have trouble bringing that uh, flow state and that intensity in practice and in can the game. I think he's a great guy for that. I think he's a great, 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 great guy for that. So I think it's a good fit. Um, worst case, he ends up being kind of like Michael Floyd last year, and maybe he's not, you know, exactly what you want, and you want to go and, and go a different direction. That's a that's not a bad situation for the Ravens. That means they're happy with their young guys. They're happy with Prochet and Duvernay and Stephen Moore and whoever they end up keeping. Maybe Antoine West. Uh, so you know, it, it's a win uh, win for the Ravens. And the quote from John Hart, he says something like uh, along the lines of, "Can you can you read me the exact again?" He said, uh, "We see everyone all the time." What was he said, we're always looking. Basically, he said, my only comment is we're not comment, com- commenting on workouts. We're looking everywhere at everybody all the time. We're looking everywhere at everybody all the time. So That's hypothetically, the they're looking phrases. at us right now. You think they're watching the this? phrases that you could put on both Eric DaCosta's tombstone and as like the motto of the Chinese looking at everybody everywhere all the time. And that's what that's what I love to say to Costa. He makes the phone call. He called about DeAndre Hopkins. He called about Jalen Ramsey. He called about Marcus Pierce. Um, he called about Clayus Campbell. And then he asked them if they wanted to be a cop or if they wanted to appear to be a cop. Or if they wanted to trade a film and be a cop. Classic. Classic. So you know, it just shows that the Ravens organization is never complacent, never lazy, especially the personnel in front office by Mr. Eric DaCosta. And you love to see it. They're not just sitting on their hands, uh, hoping they are proactively seeking depth, seeking leadership, seeking seeking youth, seeking experience, seeking you know potential, uh, consistency, all different things. They weigh all, and it, you have to be happy as a Ravens fan at this point. Fourteen team that is leaving no stone unturned and becoming better. So they're trending upward still, and it's good stuff coming out of camp. Yeah, a little bit of a weirdly divisive nature, I think, from the fan base, at least just from what I've seen on social media surrounding the signing. Uh, I think some people maybe had an axe to grind with Dez to begin with, just thinking he had an attitude or whatever. I think there's some saltiness about the fact that he did turn down that three-year contract from them uh, two years ago. But to be very clear, he made the correct decision at that point in time because he would have been exactly what Michael Crabtree was in that offense that year, which was a guy who was effectively a number one, who shouldn't have been a number one, who had some good games and some very bad games. Uh, And I think, like I mentioned, a version of that could very much work as a third or a fourth option in this offense. And uh, it's like you mentioned from that Jonas article talking to his trainer, some guy with the last name Robinson. I don't have it in front of me, but... uh, Yeah, okay. So he said he's a legitimate number three receiver. He could come in and be somebody's number three receiver right now. With time, him getting in shape in a few weeks, getting acclimated to the system and things like that, he could easily slide in and be a number two receiver. I think he's a lot more Larry Fitzgerald-y in his career, like in the slot, using him closer toward the goal line. That's where he would be most effective right now on the 40-yard line and in, which Larry Fitzgerald, I mean, obviously more prolific, but a guy who played a ton on the outside. uh, And it was kind of starting to look like physically he was getting worn down. He couldn't do it anymore. 
Bruce Arians comes in, moves him into the slot, has a complete career renaissance, and now at like age 61, he's still playing for the Cardinals as a slot wide receiver. So it's an interesting comparison, I think. Right. And that sparks the question, like, I mean, how how, how many slot guys you have right. that are on your roster on Duvernay, Crochet, Hollywood plays in the slot a lot, Andrews plays in the slot a lot, um, you know, Sneed, all these guys in the slot. So I feel like I get I get the reasoning there. At the same time, they really need outside guys, man. They've they've got Boykin and Hollywood, who, like I just said, you know, Hollywood led the NFL in slot downs last year, seven, seven slot touchdowns. Um, they need a guy that can play on the outside, that can win one on one. Um, really, I mean, Z, you could probably stick Duvernay at Z as well. Uh, you can probably play some Z, but they need that X. It's really Boykin, and pretty much Scott is the only other guy that fits that bigger, stronger you know, mold and Jalil Scott hasn't been able to operate a ton. Uh, see, maybe he has a great, I hope he does, but I think he'd, if Bryant can't really fit the X and he doesn't look, he can, they might, they might not even sign him. Um, they don't need more slot competition. They need depth at outside receiver. At Okay. Anything else on this? I, I hope it works out. I hope we get to see at least one, in purple and black. Just give me one Des Bryant regular season touchdown. That would be awesome. Um, so leave us a comment in our reviews, five-star reviews, one-star reviews, whatever it is, and tell us, will Des Bryant score a touchdown in purple and black in 2020? Make them five-star. They're only getting on the show if they're five-stars. Uh, okay, before we get out of here, a little quick hitter questions. We got our guy, Otavio Millar, in the comments here. Uh, do you think it will be easier to stash players on the practice squad since there are no preseason games? And do you think it also makes it harder for an undrafted guy to make the team? I think that it will be easy to stash players in the practice squad. Um, the preseason teams, the scouts aren't going to be able to go crush preseason games and figure out where guys are standing out and look good and look like they play a different role than, you know, let's say that the Seahawks want a guy to play nickel that's been playing boundary for the Ravens and looks like his fit. They won't be able to see that. Uh, the only thing they'll be able to do go based off of the college tape and kind of some, some whispers through the grapevine and maybe things like that. So if you cut a guy who ended up signing somewhere else, UDFA, get a shot at him if he gets cut, but uh, those, those real hidden gems that get cut, you're not going to know who they are necessarily. And it's going to be it's going to be weird for the UDFA. Really unfortunate year for guys that weren't drafted and and the small school guys and all that stuff. But uh, I do believe you know teams will know a good bit about you, and and they might be a little bit more open to giving guys a shot elsewhere because they didn't get to see that film. They don't know what you're not yet um, in NFL sense. They might want to kick tires on guys say quite a bit. But yeah, I think it'll be stash guys at this time. People won't know the real gems. So if you've got a guy, you know. Uh, Willisby out of on the Ravens have the other, let's say he you know really tears it up and they just don't have a roster spot for him maybe he clears waivers uh, maybe he does so who knows at this point but that's my best guess yeah definitely I think it's uh, a pretty unfortunate time for guys like that I think it is going to make it harder for undrafted guys I think it probably does give your team a little bit of advantage with uh, dudes that you want to stash even if it's just on the practice squad, maybe sending a, a guy to IR or whatever. This is maybe a weird pipe dream, but maybe somebody could organize a combine for some of these guys, you know, some sort of private combine a year from That's now. A good idea, yeah. Yeah, whenever all this stuff is over, it's like, 
hey, if you were affected by this, if you want to show off your skills, come to X location and X amount of teams are going to be there. That's probably just a weird pipe dream, but I think it would be cool for dudes like this who maybe are out of a job, uh, whatever amount of time down the line because of all that has happened. Uh, okay, we got Ben Rose hopping in here again. Any chance DaCosta capitalizes on Melvin Ingram's contract holdout with the Chargers? I feel like they've already kind of made their decision uh, going with Judon this year. Yeah, uh, Ingram, you know, has been awesome, really successful, productive pass rusher, also been hurt a bit. Uh, he has a $14 million contract with zero guarantees, and that's why he's holding out. I don't think they would, you know, ship on there and take Ingram and re-sign him at the age of 31. I could be wrong. Uh, it seems like they're good to go with Juden, who I thought blocked me, but actually just all the social media. I was quite upset. Because that was so sick. This podcast, if you listen to this podcast, if you follow me on Twitter, any crap, you know how much I have Matt Judon's back and think the world of him as a player. So I was like, damn, this man really blocked me. And then Dustin Cox, our colleague at Baltimore, beat down. I was like, uh, no, he deleted his social media. I just checked. I was like, okay, cool. Okay, cool. Uh, but anyway, Melvin Ingram, I, I, I'd say that's a pipe dream a little bit. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. They do have a couple contracts they could move around, Marcus Peters and things, but it feels like they're not going to make a crazy investment at this point because they kind of want to maintain that uh, consistent year-to-year cap flexibility to the best of their ability and bringing on another guy at this point uh, feels like a little too big for what they're, what they're envisioning, but they could get him at the trade deadline. They could definitely get him at the trade deadline, uh, things like that. And I think you can see the Ravens being buyers again at the trade deadline for the second straight year. If you can go rip off another round pick or another four round pick, something like that for another proven productive veteran uh, that's kind of in a crap situation scheme wise or something like that. And yeah, I think that's more realistic. So maybe we see it at the trade deadline. Yeah, that's a good take. Uh, last one we got here is Clay with a K. Do we see an expanded playbook this year with a neutered preseason? Love that word in Clay. If so, what plays do you hope to see more of? I feel like Spencer is already going to say screens, LOL. Uh, I probably agree that that's what you're going to say because you have been uh, Mr. Screen here for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, screens, jet sweep, passes, um, all utilize the motion. It's utilizing the motion. Stuff that we already wanted, it, even like without the idea of there being no preseason. Right. Uh, bubble bubble screens. You know, you got Hollywood lined up in the slot. You got Boykin out there and there's only two D's. You know what Hollywood just did to Marlon Humphrey, kind of open field, even though he didn't have the ball. But is going to be explosive after the catch. And still, I love the fact that he played last year the way he did, conservatively after the catch, falling down, avoiding contact. A couple times against Miami in the first week, his two touchdown catches – he found her two defenders who clocked each other, kind of like laid each other out. So I, I love that he still has that, you know, kind of experience of protecting himself. So it's like with what Lamar does, uh, with what Marty Mornwig and Greg Roman originally said with Lamar, like if you can score, try. If you think you can score, try. If you don't, protect yourself. Get out of bounds down and stuff. I think that's the best fee to have. And I believe that those are going to be big, big, big. And the one part of it is that Lamar stunk at throwing them his rookie year. Like really badly, uh, it was had to do with foot and hips opening the gate. Now you'll know because you pitched in high school, uh, not really having your foot meet your target and following through with having your upper body and lower body in sync. It looked a little bit better last year, and that's another little area they can improve in training camp this year. I actually do touch on that in that syllabus that I uh, put up that should be published tomorrow or the next day. A big article. But 
Uh, yeah, I believe that those screens, all that good stuff. And then definitely it's going to be rushing four more and bluffing the blitz. Uh, get into that in the syllabus. I mentioned it on here earlier. Wormley, Williams, and Pierce were pretty much the worst in their pass rushing trio. They were the three starters. Although they played a base, Wormley with five tech, Williams was at the three tech, and Pierce is at the one tech. Those guys only had 46 total pressures and like four sacks or five sacks. So being able to rush four with combinations of Campbell and Wolf and McPhee and Judon and Ward and Bowser and Ferguson and uh, Mataboyke and all these different guys, being able to bluff the blitz. Because when you're playing the Ravens last year, you know they're blitzing. It, you know it's freaking coming. So there's going to be a hot read somewhere. Blitz, there's a hot read. And that led to some quick passing stuff against the Chiefs and against the Browns. And when the coverage was great, it was some quick passing stuff. But now – if they're going to drop back, they're not kind of hogtied or uh, forced to blitz, then they're going to be able to bluff the blitz, drop seven. That's going to confuse the shit out of opposing quarterbacks a lot of the time, as it has for years. I mean, to talk to Patrick Mahomes in 2018, he was like, I don't even know what the hell they were doing defensively. Uh, he ends up lobbing up an easy pick to Chuck Clark because he was so freaking confused. And, you know, Brady's been stifled. The Ravens have gotten Peyton Manning times with that same kind of stuff that ties all the way back into those creeper defenses and Mike Nolan and Marvin Lewis and uh, Arnanda from LSU who's out at Baylor now and that whole thing we've talked in great detail before. But so rushing four, bluffing the blitz, you know, of course still seeing, but seeming the pressure, dropping more guys into coverage is going to lead to a lot more sacks and a lot more interceptions, in my opinion, if it is executed well. Me personally, I'm very intrigued by this idea of the two running backs in the backfield with the quarterback type thing that we were touching on uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I just think with the spoils and the riches that you have at that position, why not use it, uh, especially with the investment that you just made in the second round there with J.K. Dobbins. I think getting him in the same backfield with guys like Lamar and Ingram and maybe even mix it up and get him in there with a guy like Hill who brings this other you know, fun kind of cool skill set, I say uh, get more running backs in there. It might be a little bit galaxy brain, a little bit uh, contrarian. No, I don't think that's galaxy brain because from there you can, I mean, you can motion Justice Hill and J.K. Dobbins. I've talked about how J.K. spent percent of his snaps at OSU out wide. Right. With how much how they like to use motion, get J.K. snaps out wide where he's coming into the back to make two backs or just one back, have Justice Hill do that, so split them back out wide. So that leaves possibilities, and that can go in hand with this stuff. So, I mean, the Ravens truly, when you think about what those running backs can do, Ingram made a couple great this year split out. Wide. He had a, a big against the Texans. It was a, uh, over like a smash read. Browns, and, I think, in Cleveland. Yes. Not, uh, yeah, that's the one that he got kind of hurt on, too. Yeah. And Lamar was able to sneak it between the underneath and over top defenders in like a cover two. And some of those, those things, those stay out wide, man. They can catch the football. So I think those are definitely huge points. And then the final one I'll touch on is JT O'Sullivan, who does the quarterback class stuff on YouTube. Definitely watch him. Has a lot of great insight, a former NFL quarterback. He made a great point that with those running backs, there was a lot of times, a lot of the bad plays, some of the interceptions, turnovers you saw to the Ravens offense, it's because Ingram or, or Edwards was kind of, like like we said, a half measure instead of a full measure. They tried to do this weird combination of chipping a little bit and then le leaking into the backfield kind of half-assed. Do one or the other. Make it decisive to full speed. Chip the shit out of an end and force him back inside or get your ass to the flat because Lamar would look for the check down and it wasn't even there yet. 
And then he has to like, so he went through his first read, wasn't there. Second read, the check down wasn't there because he's not running his route full speed. And now he's like trying to make the school bullshit happen. Get into the backfield quickly, get out there so you can get flip the ball in open space and go get a first down or make a big play. Um, so that was a big point that JT made or JP O'Sullivan made. And uh, that, that definitely was an interesting watch on YouTube. If you look up his name, you'll be able to find his YouTube page and he'll uh, take you through the eyes of an NFL quarterback I played for a long time. And he has a great like 15 minute video on Lamar and some of the reads he needs to improve on and some stuff like that. So uh, those all things definitely, I think, should be an emphasis of training. Can they touch on all of them? Maybe, maybe not, but we shall see. Good stuff. Running close to an hour here. Anything else before we get rolling? Uh, no, I think that about does it for me. I'm really excited. I do say, you know, that contact thing. I hope they kind of stash some of those better eyes, keep them out of the contact situations a good bit, and uh, make sure they're up to speed first. Those soft issue, the soft tissue injuries occur over the couple of days of camp where guys aren't calloused. And uh, I remember the tight ends, Hurst and Andrews, both out of this draft class, got banged up. Uh, early in training camp. And I remember Harbaugh was like, what the hell are they doing in college with these guys? They should be calloused by now, but sometimes guys aren't. And that's when those soft tissue injuries occur. Hopefully they uh, go hard, but, but also, you know, keep a nice balance with those two areas. Suspension for holding some sort of bonus practice that the media wasn't supposed to know about coming very shortly there for Harbaugh. Uh, But yeah, other than that, I guess we are good to go here. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Make sure to go leave five stars for us. Give us those reviews. We are gearing up. We're going to try to get back to the two episodes a week moving forward. So this is the second episode this week. Uh, We should have another one probably released on, I believe, Saturday. And then we'll try and get back. So Jake and I are figuring our schedules out with work and everything and the different stuff we're doing. So we'll try to get back to that and have some fun. Year two, baby. Let's go. Absolutely. Year two. Appreciate you guys listening. I hope this was a good one. And like I said, we're going to have another one out here for you at the end of the week. I'm not going to spoil anything quite yet, but hopefully you're going to be talking to to some boots on the ground uh, in training camp. But uh, until then, you can follow me on Twitter at Jake Luth. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. You can follow Spencer at Ravens4Dummies. That's the number four in the middle. You can follow the show at Podcast Beatdown. Check out at Be More Beatdown. We are now broadcasting these to Periscope. Uh, onto the Be More Beatdown Twitter account, and also check us out on YouTube at Baltimore Beatdown to find video episodes of the show if you're not already watching them. So really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Camp is open. We're having some fun. And uh, yeah, hope you guys are enjoying it. Peace out. See ya. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) 